Yeah. So prior to uh, prior to pastoring here in Red Bluff, uh, my wife and I, we Don and I, have been co-pastoring here at the Vineyard for it'll be seven years, uh, or it's been seven, about seven years now. And uh, before that, we pastored in Wisconsin for about twelve years. And uh, over time, we uh, had this lady start coming to our church. Her name was Jennifer. Um, she had a pretty pretty rough background. She had you know, dived into, uh, she was part of a biker gang. Uh, I was pretty afraid of her when I first met her, actually. Uh, but she, she was super, um, you know, had abused alcohol and drugs, and it just got wrapped up into a lot of, a lot of really challenging things. And, you know, in many ways, I think um, her, her life had kind of become a train wreck um, over the course of, of her early adulthood. And, and yet, um, you know, after a period of time, someone had shared the gospel with her, and she came to meet Jesus. And when she met Jesus, literally everything changed in her life. I mean, it was pretty radical. I mean, she jumped into reading her Bible. She was always reading her Bible. She started going to Bible studies all the time. Um, and then after, you know, um, just a period of discipleship and, and following Jesus and getting plugged into church and reading her Bible all the time and praying and constantly showing up and constantly having questions to all the, the Christians around her, she met this really nice man, and they got engaged, and um, they actually got married in our church, and it was the first time I ever did a wedding where they asked if they could bring a Harley Davidson into the church and ride it out of the church uh, at the end of the service, and I was like, uh, yeah, you can do that, and so at the very end of the service, it was actually amazing, you know, I now pronounce you husband and wife, and she walked down and she, you know, she looked at the Harley, and she was, like, trying to figure out how to get her dress up to get over it. And she, like, lifted it all the way up, looked at me, winked, got on the, <laughs> and then drove it out. And I was just like, what just happened? I was like, I was like, it's crazy, yeah. And I was like, I guess come as you are. <laughs> but, uh, but, but what's amazing about Jennifer is um, she was, I mean, from day one, when she became a follower of Jesus, she was 100% committed to sharing Jesus with everybody that she ever interacted with. And I mean, over the decades, um, over the decade, over the 12 years we were there, I mean, we just saw dozens and dozens and dozens of people come to church because they, they met her, and she just was constantly sharing Jesus. And, and I remember when her, her husband, this was really formative in my um, conceptualization of church too, though, because I learned a lot from from this crowd of unchurched people. Like I grew up in church most of my life. I've always been around church to some degree, and so I've I've always kind of like you know had one foot in that world. And this was a group of people that had zero connection to church and zero history with it. And I remember her husband one time told me that he liked our church because I looked like crap. And I was like, I don't quite know how to take that. But he's like, oh, you know, like you don't wear a suit and tie. And I was like, that's a little bit different than look like crap. I feel like it's a different way to say it. But his point was is that he, he, he was like really thankful that he was a part of a church community where come as you are was appreciated. And I remember hearing that from him because his expectations were that if he walked in with a leather jacket, he wouldn't be welcomed. And I just want to say on behalf of everybody here, and you can, uh, you can agree by your amen, but we are a come-as-you-are church. Amen? Like we are. We want people to feel like they're welcomed as they are. And so I, I just remember a, a learning a lot from this couple, though, just watching her, her faith blossom and grow and her desire to, to know Jesus more. And then 
this overwhelming conviction in her life that she wanted other people to know Jesus because she had seen how much Jesus had changed her life. And so for the past month, you know, for all of October, what we have primarily been doing is we've been hearing people's stories. Um, and if you weren't with us uh, for that month, most of the Sundays that we, we had, what we did is we had a, a, a number of people on the stage, and I just spent time interviewing them and asking them to tell their story. And we heard from people about how they come to faith, how, how they came to faith, how they also were able to overcome obstacles in their life. And, and it was very, very good. And I was just so blessed. I feel, like, I feel like I learned a lot about people in our church. And it was pretty awesome, wasn't it? I mean, Terry Rapley, it was amazing. Yeah, it's true. And I'm probably going to forget people, but that was, uh, by the way, a terrible clap. Just want to go on record. It's like, ah, okay. That was even worse because that was your second chance, and it just got worse. But <laughs> we, but we did. We had some really, really helpful, helpful interviews. And, and so this month, um, this morning, I should say, what I want to do is I want to talk a little bit about how you can share your faith with other people. Because over the past month, what I've heard from people over and over again was, hey, I would really like to get to the point where I could share my story. Um, and maybe not on stage, but just feel more comfortable sharing my story with other people. And, and I've had numerous people ask me in the last couple of weeks about, about uh, how to do that, how to talk to people about Jesus or how to invite someone to church. And so we're going to spend some time talking about how to share the story of Jesus, how to share our story and how Jesus has, has changed our lives um, with our friends, family, co-workers, neighbors, etc. But before we do that, what I'd like to do this morning is read a passage of scripture and then spend a few minutes praying. And so we're going to read 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 through 5. And this is what the Apostle Paul writes. He writes, For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after, chase after myths. But you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. And so, Father, we do ask um, for your Spirit's presence to breathe on these words of life that we read in Scripture and to, to help us to, to hear them, but not just hear them, but to become doers of those words, that we would each apply them to our lives in whatever area of life we, we are currently in. I pray that you would also give us um, eyes to see and ears to hear what the Holy Spirit is doing around us, and and help us to be more intentional and more engaged in sharing our faith with those around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, when the Apostle Paul wrote 2 Timothy, um, things were looking pretty dark. In fact, if you do any cultural studies or contextual studies about, um, you know, the, the Roman Empire at the end or toward the end of the first century, you'll know that there was a lot of challenges going on. I mean, there was absolute political chaos under Emperor Nero. Nero was the Roman emperor, and, you know, toward the end of his life, he absolutely lost his mind and started burning Christians inside of the gardens and, and ended up lighting the city of Rome on fire and blaming it on Christians, and it was just a very 
great evil person. So there was a lot of political chaos. Um, there was massive persecutions in the church at the time. The church was being persecuted on a regular basis. And so for people to follow Jesus, they would suffer excruciating things through that. And also what was happening were there were more and more false teachers at that time. There was a, a, a heresy known as Gnosticism where a group of false teachers basically thought that they had some hidden wisdom and they were able to teach it, but you also had to pay them 1995 or whatever the going rate was. Um, so there were a lot of different, different challenges at that time. And, and yet what I think is really interesting and this is written again around 62 to 64 AD, what I think is really interesting is that despite the fact that there are a lot of challenging things facing the followers of Jesus in the first century, in the midst of all that darkness and all of that chaos, Paul says a couple of things. He says, first, keep your mind clear. He says, don't be afraid to suffer. He says, tell people about Jesus. Share the gospel, that share the good news. And then he says, carry out your ministry. I think it's really interesting because what we can learn from that, I think, is that in a world of chaos, we have to share hope, right? We have to share hope. Now, I think there's a lot to unpack in this text, and we could spend a lot of time doing that. And there are, in my opinion, a lot of similarities from the ancient Rome. The, sim the similarities that exist between ancient Rome and today are, I think, are Pretty, pretty clear to many of us, but um, it's, it's not very hard to see that we too live in political chaos, right? Amen? I mean, it's like they're all crazy, and they keep, keep getting crazier, you know? But um, it's also obvious that the church still experiences persecution, right? Persecution still happens, and maybe not quite as bad in the United States, but in, elsewhere it gets really bad. But there's definitely false teachers in today's world. And anytime I just turn on television and watch some of the religious programming out there, it's very obvious that there are people who are looking to build their own kingdom and not trying to contribute to the, the kingdom of God. But another thing about today's cultural chaos and the political craziness that exists and the increasing pressure to surrender kingdom ethics in today's world, I think we have to apply the same things. We have to keep a clear mind. We have to keep a clear mind. We have to do our best not to live in fear of suffering. We have to tell people about Jesus. And we have to carry out each of our ministries. So today, what I want to do is I want to talk about how to share our faith a little bit. You know, sharing our faith is essential to following Jesus. And this just comes right out of what is called the Great Commission. Many of you have heard this before, but one of the first things that Jesus said to everyone in the church, that everyone in the church was supposed to do is this. And this is what Jesus says. This is after the resurrection. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We are supposed to help everyone from everywhere follow Jesus. That's what it means to become a disciple. We're supposed to help them get baptized, and then we're supposed to help them to what? Obey Jesus' commands. Can anybody tell me how you can figure out what Jesus' commands are? In the Bible. This is great. Three of you know. This is amazing. I feel so good as a pastor. <clears throat> so how do, we, how do we do that, though? How do we share our faith? 
How do we, how do we engage in the practice of, of the scary word evangelism? And there are um, some really good, good ways to do that. And we're going to talk about that in a few minutes here. But I think there's a really interesting trend amongst today's younger folks. Um, everyone, I don't know if you know this, but everybody wants to be a social media influencer. Did you know this? Uh, I've been reading some research on this. And, and for those of you who are like, what in the world is a social media influencer, which is about half of you? It, what it means is that there are people who want to get paid money to simply post things on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or TikTok. They're just, they just got to create content and promote things, and people will give them money. Now, I mean, here's what's crazy about that, though. Social media influencing currently is over a $7 billion industry every year. So there is a lot of money in this, in this industry. Um, consider this, that one of the highest paid social media influencers got paid $2.3 million every time they posted something. I know. I was like, I want that job now too. Like, I count me as one of those people. Like, that's crazy. But think about that. $2.3 million just to post on Instagram. But here's what's fascinating is that 86% of young people right now, aged 13 to 38, say that they like to be a social media influencer. It's in the top three job uh, goals for, for young people. And so I think it's, it's interesting. Like, the desire to influence people isn't, I think, the problem. I, I really don't think that's a, the problem. I think the question is, what are we influencing people toward? Or more appropriately, who are we influencing people toward? That is really the question of the day. And I think that each one of us should be, if we're followers of Jesus and we really have experienced the grace of God, if that's happened, we should primarily be concerned with influencing people toward Jesus and the kingdom. So how do we do it? How do we do it? I'd like to, to, to really cover five practical ways. And I think in some ways these might even be tools for us to consider. Five practical ways for you to share your faith. And so let's just start with the low-hanging fruit for you social media influencers. I think social media is one way that we can actually influence people for Jesus. I think it's totally possible. Um, but do you actually think about what you post on social media? That's a rhetorical question because I know some of you don't. Okay? I'm positive of it. I'm like, unfollow, block. But on a serious level, I, I really feel like in 2020, with all the craziness that was going on, that was the first year that I started really wrestling with, with this question. Because we have the ability to share anything at a moment's notice, and without even thinking about it, we can reshare, repost, etc. But I think we really do need to spend time thinking about congruency, consistency, is what I'm posting actually in keeping with my faith in Jesus and in the teachings of Scripture. And so one of the things I have heard from numerous people over the years that, that actually keeps them from, from really diving into Christianity is because they see what Christian people post. And it's something that we have to be honest about and we have to really think about. Because hypocrisy is, from every study I've ever seen, is the number one leading reason people object to Christianity. So I think we need to post less negativity and more positivity, and, and there's a number of ways we can do that. But what I really love, I'm going to big up somebody right now, but Terry Dean, who's a part of our church, 
who's always finding the good all the time. She does a really good job of this. And if you've ever seen her post, it's always her finding the good. And I'm like, it's not always good. And then she's like, yes, it is. Here, find it, right? And so she's making a difference, I think, in her social media. And I think we can all do the same thing. Is we, can, we can actually be more intentional with sharing and pointing people to Jesus in the way we do our social media. So that's the low-hanging fruit. You guys ready for the rest? Okay. The number, the number two, the, the second thing is personal one-on-one conversations. Personal evangelism used to scare me to death. I remember as a, as a kid, like, um, when I was in youth group, our, we would go to these youth camps, and we would go to, like, the city of Chicago or the city of Minneapolis, and we were like, hey, there's one person from Chicago, that's right. Uh, we would go there, and it was like, we're going to go out there, and we're going to share the gospel with people, and I just remember being totally overwhelmed with anxiety, and I don't know what to say, and having all the fear. I mean, like, I have said time and time again, I was not wired to be an evangelist. So are there any people in this room that are wired to be an evangelist? I'm just curious. Anybody here like, oh, yeah, one, we have one, two, okay, two, maybe three, 2.5, okay, 2.5. We have 2.5 evangelists in the room. I'm not that. Because, you know, the difference between an evangelist and the rest of us is that you weirdo evangelists, when you get on a plane, you know what happens. You're just like, oh, I cannot wait to see who sits by me. Right? You're like, oh, I'm going to unload double barrels. Jesus! Right? You are weird. I sit on a plane. I put the AirPods immediately in, and I look out the window. Right? I mean, it's just the difference between evangelist people and the rest of us. And I just would be so afraid of having to share my faith, or I didn't know what what to do when that situation happened. But here's the reality. Numerous, numerous, numerous studies and lots of research has has really shown that personal evangelism, personal evangelism is still the most effective way to share Jesus with people. It still is. It still is the, the, the most common way for people to come to faith. And I think there's a couple reasons for that. One of them being that it's very authentic because it's natural. In a natural, personal relationship environment where you get to share a little bit of Jesus with people, share your story, talk to them, be transparent. It really does make a difference. And it's, it's a really amazing how much research has been, has been done over the last 30 to 40 years about that fact. And it's really interesting, too, is that people, when polls happen, the Gallup polls and all these different research groups do polls, they find that, that most of your unchurched neighbors and friends actually say that they're willing to attend church if they're invited. Isn't that interesting? Like, I don't know about you, but I'm always like, I don't want them to feel pressured. I don't want to make them feel weird. But most people say that they actually would respond positively to a church invitation. And that just kind of, for me, again, sets up this thing that I've long believed, and it's this, that people are always one invite away from encountering God. Think about your life the first time you encountered God. More than likely, there was an invitation that was involved, right? Most of us would have that be our story. So we say social media is a way to share our faith. Personal one-on-one sharing is another way to do it. And the third, I think, resource that we can have is supernatural miracles. So I had this friend, this weirdo friend, super weird. His name was Josh. Like weirder than weird. Like, every time I was with him, he was, like, hearing from God and had a prophecy to share. 
And he was always like wanting to pray for people to get healed. And I was like, dude, can we just go to a movie? You know, I mean, but, but, uh, but here's the thing. He, he would constantly have this interaction with people and they would like walk away completely convinced that they encountered God in one way, shape, or form. So like weirdo Josh became like, let's hang out every day, Josh. Okay. And in this one time we went to this, like, this is, this is back in the early 2000s when like coffee shops and spoken word poetries were a thing. Anybody in the room know it? No? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's what you do. You're supposed to, this is the way you, nope. Just, just you and me, Jennifer. It's great. So we go to this thing and we're like there and it's, you know, super nerdy and, uh, we get done and we're walking and I, and I'll never forget, I might have even shared this story before, but we were walking and he like, we walk right past this bar, this tavern, it's Wisconsin, there's bars everywhere and he's like, oh, we need to go in there. And I was like, that's what I'm talking, just kidding. I was like, <laughs> just kidding. I was just testing you, okay? But I'm like, okay, what do we need to do? And he's like, there's a guy in there I need to pray for. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> this is getting weird. And he walks in and he, he walked right up to this guy and he's like, hey. I was just walking by, and I really felt like the Lord wanted me to come in here and give you some encouragement about your uncle. And then he proceeds to tell this guy about something that had happened to his uncle. And I can't remember what, what it was, but the guy had gotten hurt. And then he says, and so I just want you to know, you know, Josh, weirdo Josh is like, I just want you to know that God, God wants you to know that he loves you. And also, I want to pray for you um, for your ankle. And the guy was like, what? And how do you know? And, and then prays for him, and the guy's ankle is, like, healed from some thing he had been struggling from. And, I mean, it was like, I just walked out of it, and I was like, that was crazy. But here's the thing. That guy that morning may have woke up not believing in God. But after that encounter, I think it would be hard to argue that God didn't exist. And this is my point, is that there are plenty of of people out there who are engaged in philosophical arguments about the existence of God. And I am one of those people that enjoys those conversations. Not everybody does. There are some people that, that have those kind of, of engagements and want to argue about philosophy and theology and, and the Bible and things like that. But it's really hard to deny when a miracle happens in your life. And that's why I think we have to have this grid for supernatural miracles. There's two places, in addition to all over the book of Acts in the Gospels, there's two places where Paul actually says to the Romans and to the Thessalonians, he says that the normal way that the gospel was proclaimed was both proclamation by words, and it was demonstrated by signs and wonders, praying for the sick, things like that, as well as living ethical lives. And so our, our proclamation of the good news of Jesus has to include demonstration of the good news of Jesus. And that's why I think we have to be willing to say six really important words. Do you want to know what they are? Can I pray for you now? Six words. And so when you meet someone and they're going through something really challenging or they need, some, they need a miracle in their life, guess what? You have all the tools that you need if you have become a follower of Jesus because you have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. So that's the third, um, I think, practical way for us to share our faith is to pray in a naturally supernatural way for people. The fourth thing is, uh, according to my personal polls, the most challenging one, but I'm going to call it intellectual engagement. 
Um, one of the most common fears, apparently, for most people about sharing their faith is that they won't have all the answers. Quick poll. How many of you feel like that is one of the things keeping you from sharing your faith? You do not have all the answers. Just out of curiosity. Some of you are lying right now, but that's okay. Okay? But most of us do. This is a big challenge. Is, well, I don't know how to defend the authority and authenticity of the Bible. I don't speak Greek. I don't, I don't know all that theological stuff. And let me just say a couple things about that. First of all, there is nobody who knows all the answers. Okay? Can we all just accept that? There is nobody that knows all the answers. So it's okay to say this. Hey, that's a great question. Let me look into that and get back to you. <laughs> like, that's totally okay. It's okay in every other topic, and so it's also okay in faith. And, and then this should also, I think, stimulate us to do a couple things. The first one is that, can you please, for the life of me, not celebrate and celebrate ignorance? <laughs> you know, because I think sometimes in American Christianity, it's like we are gladly anti-intellectual. But we should not be anti-intellectual. Amen? Did you know that Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind? Yeah, you have to think to love God. God wants us to love us, love him with all of our being. And so this, this um, intellectual engagement aspect should stimulate us to study the Bible. Read a book! Gosh! For the love of God! Literally, literally, for the love of God, read a book. Great book, Tim Keller's The Reason for God. If you're, if you're wanting to be able to have a good answer for the tough questions like, how can a loving God allow evil in this world? Or how can a loving God allow suffering in this world? Those are real questions. I get asked those all the time by people at coffee shops or over, over meals, generally including tacos. Okay. They're real questions, though. Like, if we minimize them, we are not listening to, to people who don't know Jesus. And so I want to encourage you to, to spend some time wrestling with those big questions because, you know, in those personal one-on-one -on -one conversations that you have, you might have somebody ask those questions. And I'll never forget the first time I was sitting in a car with this guy named Bruce, and he asked me that question. He said, hey, I, I mean, I'm, I'm almost willing to accept that Jesus died on the cross for me, but I just do not understand how could a loving God allow all these bad things to happen? And you know what? I had just read a book, and I was able to answer that question. And when I got done telling him what I thought, it was like he just said, oh, that makes sense. And we prayed literally right there. So you can do the same thing too. And the, the fifth thing, we already heard somebody out there say it, acts of kindness. I am convinced that few things are as effective at introducing people to Jesus as small acts of kindness. For example, buying someone's coffee or buying someone's groceries that's behind you. Giving away cold water bottles in the summer. Um, you know, ice cream. If you show up at my house in July with ice cream, you are the kingdom of God. You, you are. In, in Wisconsin, we used to have this guy that... Would, would go around and he did this, this, it was a ministry called the Woodchucks. And what he did is he gathered all these guys and, and during the summer and in months he would, he would go and cut down wood and they would, they would stack it, you know, do everything. They would cut down trees, they would turn it into to 
pieces that you could fit into a fireplace, you know. And then what they would do is they would deliver wood to people in the community that had needs in that area. And, I mean, literally over, over 20 years, hundreds of people would say the wood checks, chucks made a big difference in their lives because of those small, random acts of kindness. So I think these five practical ways are, are ways that you can get involved in sharing Jesus with folks. Let's stand up together. <clears throat> I want you to note something that Paul says here again. Okay? Look at this. Let's, let's read it together. Okay? Whoa. Where'd it go? It's coming back. Okay. It says, let's read it together. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. Listen to that. Work at telling others the good news. So, I mean, that, that seems to imply we have to engage and be intentional. Would you agree? Like, you can't, if you're going to work, you've got to be intentional. You have to get engaged in it. And so here's what I want to encourage you to do. For, we're just going to take a minute or two here to do this. So go ahead and close your eyes if that's helpful for you. I have been accused of having um, big, <laughs> big dreams and aspirations. And I remember when I was, I, one of the first um, trips I had done when I had first moved to Red Bluff and I had left and I was coming home. And, and I remember like driving on I-5 and I saw the first sign that said Red Bluff, you know, so-and-so miles away. And I was just kind of praying and it's like, huh, Red Bluff. I was like, God, what's your heart for Red Bluff? And I just immediately had this like sense in my heart where God just says, I want all of them. Like, like Jesus just loves every single person in our community. So big aspirations. I want everybody to know Jesus, etc. But this morning, I want us to do one thing and to, to position ourselves to hear from God. Yes, we all know that the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. But this morning as we're standing together and we are just listening to God, God, I pray right now that you would, you would bring to our mind, to our heart, you might even give us a picture of the person, but would you help us to, to identify somebody right now that we can be intentional about sharing our faith with. Just bring to mind maybe somebody we haven't thought about for a while or maybe it's somebody that you've been speaking to us every single day for a while and we've just been a little, a little afraid or, or not sure of how to do it. But Lord, would you bring to mind right now somebody that we can invite to church or we can invite to go have coffee with or that we can go and, and do some random act of kindness for or somebody that we can offer to pray for, Lord. Would you bring that person to mind right now, Lord?
kind of curious, just curious, how many of you feel like the Lord just gave you somebody? Yeah, a few of you? Okay. Well, I, I really believe that God wants to speak to us, so can we just wait for a minute until we, at least a general, general sense of God speaking to us? And so, Lord, just right now in this room, for, for those who really, truly are asking and just saying, God, would you, would you give me direction right now? Would you right now bring those people to mind? And help us, Lord, to, to have a, a sense of conviction that we have a responsibility as followers of Jesus to go and make disciples. And so would you help each one of us to to right now have somebody come to mind that we that we can share our faith with. Would your Holy Spirit empower us, Lord, not to live in fear, not to have anxiety, not to be a, afraid or worried about those relationships, but just to really follow your lead. We believe here, Lord, that faith is spelled R-I-S-K. And so would you help us to take a risk? Now, Father, as we um, transition from this space of being gathered as the church, I pray that you would continue to, to walk with us and to lead us as we scatter into the world around us, and that you would minister through us as conduits of love, conduits of grace, conduits of mercy, conduits of truth, and that we would we would reflect to the world your goodness, your kindness to us. I pray that you would bring healing where healing is needed, that you bring hope where hope is needed, and that you would continue to have your way in every area of our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, have a great week. Stick around, say hi to somebody, and we'll see you next Sunday.